0: Hi, Ben. Lovely to uh, speak to you again. How are you doing?
1: Very good, Sam. Very
0: good today. Perfect. Fantastic. And I think obviously just following on from uh, the fully charged events in which we were both um, both um, there in Farnborough, I think we got talking um, a little bit around sort of charging and charging infrastructure. And you had a really nice insight into sort of public charging and how that sort of become the, uh, I guess, the charging of, of last resort. I mean, let's, let's explore that a little bit. I mean, what, I guess what's your what's your background in in this space?
1: Well, I've I've been in the the transit and mobility space for a number of years. Uh, my first startup in the space was uh, Masabi, uh, which uh, is a public transit ticketing company, and uh, we started by defining the kind of. Uh, digital and mobile ticketing standard for United Kingdom Rail. Uh, that's now spread across the whole country, so if, if you're buying a ticket on train line and showing your phone to get through the uh, the gates or show to the conductor, that's the technology we rolled out there. And we then took that around the world and it now supplies you know, major cities like uh, New York and Los Angeles, uh, Vegas, and we've got installations everywhere from Australia to Alaska. Uh, doing uh, about a billion dollars a year of tickets. So a great uh, British export um, and really, you know, really good for getting people using the most appropriate um, sort of mobility choice. And, you know, my, my view very much is mobility is a mix. There are places where people really should be on mass transit links, getting in and out of any major city. You should be, if you're going a decent distance, you should be on a train or something, you know. The train that I go in and out of London on, and this is a flat-fronted, boring, common or garden commuter train. Nothing exciting. It doesn't count as high-speed rail. And it gets me straight into the middle of London at over 90 miles an hour. And there's no self-driving magic Google car technology which is going to allow, and I think it carries something like four jumbo jets worth of people. So this train, which has two two human beings operating it. So it's got a driver and it's got a, a conductor for the safety of four jumbo jets worth of people, slams me right into the middle of London, four jumbo jets worth of people get off in a few minutes and it goes back out there and does it again. And the sheer number of cars and the space that would take up on roads and the space that would take up in uh, parking is mind-blowingly enormous compared to getting people in and out like that. So. You know, big cities, the geometry needs mass transit. And whether that's, you know, bus and especially BRT, which is where you have a dedicated lane for buses, especially express style buses that don't stop at every hole in the hedge, but, you know, make longer hops between stops. That really is how the big cities should work. But then as we get into lower density areas, I think cars and possibly the advent of self-driving cars is going to make it easier for us to not have to park them everywhere and I hope also a future where we don't buy a car that is sized for the biggest journey we do every year because right now if you you know have a family and you want to go camping once a year you get a big SUV with a roof box and everything so you can put the family and its bags and everything for holiday and go a long journey and for the rest of the year that car is almost entirely empty you know people who are using the car to get to work it's a single human being in a you know two ton armchair, and you know that that's just not required. So in in the with the advent of self driving cars, I think it will be not only much more easy to summon a self driving vehicle to come and take you somewhere, and you not have to park it and care and feed for it, but also you'll be able to summon an appropriately sized one. So for most of your regular time, whether you're you know in the early stages, it's going to be you can summon a a hire car that you then drive around. And, uh, or it actually drives you everywhere itself, you'll be getting a small one or two person vehicle when it is just one or two people going to popping to the shops, popping to work, something like that. And then when you are going to go to Ikea and get a load of big furniture or you're going to you know take the entire family to Inverness and go camping and you need everything, then you can summon a a big mpv you can summon something with a huge van on the back of it and not have to have that sat in your driveway for the rest of the year and, and you know I, I i look forward with encouragement towards that as long as road pricing stops people just letting their personal self-driving car just drive around london waiting to pick them up and you know clogging up the roads so we need to make sure we don't end up with deadheading self-driving cars Clogging everything up. So there's there's threat as well as something wonderful. But where we are right now is not self-driving cars. Where we are now is we're making the transition from gas guzzlers to EVs, and people are having to change their habits. Um, and people are getting, you know, in some cases commuter EVs. And EVs are good for the kind of the bulk of journeys in the UK are less than five miles in a car. Most of what you're using for SDP, social domestic pleasure, is sub five miles. Um, doesn't require a lot of electricity to do it. You don't need a giant car with a giant battery, but you do need to charge it. And the main place we want to switch people from gas guzzlers to EVs is not the long distance journeys and the motorways. It's driving around in the middle of cities where everyone lives. It's driving around delivering kids to school and going to the shops and going to work. It's all those sub-five miles journeys where we don't want people idling next to school pickup. We don't want people kind of spewing the gas out. But the people who live in high-density cities get the rough end of the deal in the current world of EV because many of the people living in cities do not have driveways. You know, all the you know, richer or the, the rural people... Uh, have driveways and space, and they can put a charger at home and charge up every night when they're um, when they when they're plugged in. But the people in cities, they're living in terraced houses. They don't generally have their own private parking because land is so scarce, and people live close together. And the you know I know, especially in the EV world, we all put a, a brave face on, and we have a lot of early adopters of EVs who. Are okay to kind of understand that the new thing still has some creaky edges, but we have to, you know, grab this thorn, grab this nettle, and say, to be honest, having an EV, if you don't have a driveway, kind of sucks. It it, it really is very annoying. If I if I if I have this uh, EV in the middle of a city and I don't have a driveway and I can't drive, park it and charge it at home because at the moment regulations won't even let me fit a charger to my house if I don't have a driveway. Um, Every week, I have to take the vehicle to some sort of charging facility somewhere else, plug it in and leave it for a number of hours, Um, and then come back to the car to retrieve it, because I can't leave it there blocking that space. I have to take it away. So I'm having to do some sort of non-car journey to and from it, or sit in it for an hour or two. Uh, while it charges, and to add further insult to my my annoyingly having to go somewhere and refuel it, I have to pay up to five times as much for the privilege. So we've got the kind of you know good and bad side of EV ownership. The good side of EV ownership is every time you get in the car, it's full. They no longer have to go to petrol stations most of the time. It fills up in your driveway. But if you live in a town all of those regular charges, they are being done expensively and they are being done at an inconvenient place. And that's really annoying. And we, we uh, at Kerber Charge, by uh, uh, the new startup I've uh, um, joined with uh, Mike Goulden, um, we're trying to improve that. We, we've been uh, working with councils to get a, a safe uh, cable uh, solution which uh, is a little self-closing flap that goes in the pavement um, so that you can charge a car in the, uh, in the city by charging from the front of your house and then uh, pop your cable in under this self-closing flap which keeps it flush with the pavement. It's not going to wake any babies sort of driving over it in their buggies and you can charge your car off-peak. You can access that lower cost uh, electricity uh, in the off-peak times and you can do slow charging which is fantastic. Uh, rather than fast charging which is better for battery life but also a lot better for the national grid and that means you join the great thing about evs which is you generally don't have to refuel them you every time you get back into your car it generally has a mostly full battery and you go off and you do your standard journey you come back and you never have to go to a petrol station again unless you're doing this occasional holiday journey or long distance journey or something else where You do then have to go and pay five times as much for a fast charger because you want it to charge while you're grabbing a a sandwich and a a cup of coffee. But what I really and what this is what we discussed at Fully Charged, you know, really for the EV revolution to work and not be the terrible headlines that were in the sun about meltdown of the grid. And we don't have enough generation capacity is, you know, I, I, I really think most of the normal use of EVs should be powered by domestic off-peak charging, slow off-peak charging. It's not something that's going to require the grid to be upgraded because we need huge amounts of electricity to flow out into all these vehicles. It's not something that's going to require giant amounts of extra generation because all of our cars are switching from petroleum, which we are shipping on boats from all over the world. And I think something like up to 20% of all the oil created, or sorry, all the oil extracted is then used up in moving oil around, just in, in running the infrastructure of getting oil to the place that we want the energy, which is ridiculous. Um, so if we can get you know, everyone using off-peak, if we can get everyone doing domestic, seven kilowatts or less, then the grid's fine for that. I mean, the national grid at the moment is overnight doing a third less demand than during the day. But if I take my inner city car while I'm awake and go to a fast charge point and want it to be done quickly and then go away again. That's peak time. During the day, that's when it's gas peak plant. That's when it's fossil fuels. That's when it's um, going to put a huge extra demand in terms of number of uh, megawatts, gigawatts are needed by a given city. If this city is now adding all of these cars, which used to be powered by petrol brought in on tankers, but now is being powered by electricity coming through the wires that city might not have that much spare capacity to take the peak time in the day and add another third but if we shifted all of that to the off peak time that extra third is available you know the the, the wires in the street aren't going to heat up the wires in the house aren't going to heat up you know they they're all doing nothing overnight so the more we can get to off peak the better and the more this demand from the cars is flexible and you know, if your car is plugged into your house whenever it's parked there, it means when we have a load of excess solar during the summer, that could all be thrown through the smart chargers straight into the car um, during the middle of the summer and then not taken overnight. We don't need to even need to fill that. And we don't have a storage issue for all of that excess solar. And then we don't have to draw as much power from, uh, from Europe. But all of this requires us to get the vehicles not plugged in occasionally onto fast chargers. It needs us to have most of the vehicles doing most of their miles, from slow domestic charging where the car is plugged in, it can take advantage of the available power and available grid capacity and charge them. And this is why you know, I think the transition to EVs is going to be domestically powered and the fast public chargers are the charger of last resort. It's only for holidays, it's only for long journeys. That's when you won't even care that it's five times more expensive to charge at 150 kilowatt hours and get it done really quickly because you're only using it occasionally the rest of the time your dominant price of power for your car is off peak power whether that's a smart tariff from one of the uh, you know new startup energy companies which gives you access to wholesale prices so you are drinking that wonderful middle of the day cheap solar rather than you know overnight and the cars are a wonderful use of that power and it, it might be we we you know the 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 problem of you know renewable power being variable kind of gets soaked up into vehicle demand as we see more and more of the cars go go
0: electric. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really, really nice point there. I mean, in, in a way, do we almost treat our cars like phones? You know, we have to plug them in every single night when if we're doing these short trips, you know, it's it's a case of, well, we can almost run it down. We don't need to be taking out of the grid. We can actually leave an available space for um, someone else to use. I think we touched upon that sort of model as well, almost monetizing your own um, your own sort of charge point as well. I mean, how would that look?
1: Well, certainly in the middle of cities, there, there's been uh, an overtaking of demand for EV charging compared to the number of people with EVs. You know, suddenly EVs have got very popular. The infrastructure hasn't kept up, and sometimes people need to charge and. The available chargers are full of vehicles, and there's nowhere to charge. So, one of the things we're, we're uh, going to be enabling with CurboCharge Charge is so that when somebody in a, a high-density residential area does put one of these CurboCharge kind of on-street uh, charging uh, systems in, for you know, in a, in a uh, load of terraced houses. I think uh, there's something like eight million terraced houses in the in the United Kingdom, and they're all in these big cities. So if you've put in a turbo charge and you only need to charge it once a week for your car, you can open it up to share it with other people. And um, so the the app that we're bringing out uh, later in the year um, allows you to uh, share your charge. Uh, it puts a few extra pence on per kilowatt hour. So that will make you a few quid extra if somebody fills their, their battery from you. But even that few extra quid is going to make this charge cheaper for your neighbours and anyone who's sharing it than any public charge point. So similarly, this is going to take pressure off public chargers and get people onto the sort of domestic areas and again, allow people who are turning up and parking their car overnight to access those off-peak tariffs and to take advantage of a long charging period. So a smart charger can then say, I'm going to put you during the solar peak during the middle of the day, or I'm going to do it overnight when there's less grid demand. But again, this is let's get a distributed, slow charging network all over these residential areas, which people who are near those can be using. And it means you don't need every single house in the terrace street to have a charger. As long as you have got one in five or one in three, you're going to find some charger somewhere. And if you're renting a house, you don't need to have a charger on your house, you just use one of the others or you're visiting a friend, there'll be one nearby because every few you know, driveways might have a, a shareable point. And it's, it's all shared on the app like a public charger. You just put your credit card in and t- it turns on automatically and you charge and you walk away. You don't have to have a conversation with someone about turning their charger on. But I think it's going to make it a lot less anxiety inducing if everywhere you find lots of people, there will be lots of charging points. And you, you're not kind of waiting in line for the for the supercharger every time you uh, you think I need a bit of a top up overnight.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think this, this conversation leads itself into like I think a bit of future development in terms of vehicle to grid, um, sort of almost like backwards charging in a way. Effectively, if you plug your plug your car in, that could effectively act as a uh, an outside generator for your home during the during the evening when you're sort of cooking and things like that, and then power charge overnight, I mean, would that be the future, in your, in your opinion?
1: Oh, I, 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 certainly, I certainly believe that's the future. And uh, people who've had concerns around battery degradation have found that if you're not fast charging batteries and you're not overheating them, uh, it doesn't really seem to hit the battery life. In fact, some of the uh, Nissan LEAF uh, vehicle-to-grid systems found they were actually getting better battery life. From batteries that had this gentle slow cycling from the uh, from the vehicle to grid life rather than the the deep cycling behavior they were seeing from people who do a big massive one hit uh, charge every now and then so I, I think when you 've got all of those rare earths all of that high density storage available in your car, but you know you're only doing five mile journeys, all of that spare capacity can be used to smooth out the demand of your home and smooth out the availability of renewables whether it's coming off your own solar or it's coming off you know the, the grid wind and solar if we can dump that in and out of cars we can avoid creating extra battery storage where it's not needed i cannot wait to get a uh, vehicle to home charger for my house and i'm thwarted only by the fact they're not commercially available yet i live in hope that by later this year they will be available outside of the pilots but it's it's such a good uh, good use of uh, Good use of um, resources and also money. I mean, now thanks to uh, EV pricing coming back in line with normal pricing, you know, I'm a I'm an absolute hound for secondhand cars. Uh, I don't think I've ever bought a new one and probably won't ever. But instead of paying ten grand for a house battery that only runs the house, and you know, ten grand will get you I don't know, maybe a ten kilowatt battery, ten kilowatt hour. I could spend seven or eight grand on a second-hand Nissan Leaf that has a 35 kilowatt hour battery, use that to run the house and my battery can actually be a spare car to occasionally run us to, you know, the shops, run us to the beach, run us to, you know, these standard less than five mile or less than hundred mile journeys without tying up, you know, a whole load of battery to be in my house. I can just use this car and it's not going to make any difference to that. And uh, um, that's that's... For me, the best way to be doing it, and uh, certainly with the amount of solar we generate around here, it, I don't think that would even a, a car is so big it can store power for multiple days for the house. So your your days of excess solar drive the days when you you have uh, you have less uh, sort of cloudy days. So that's before you even then fill the car with off peak power during the winter during the dark times. But you know, it's weather. I think the big question is just like EV adoption there's early adopters who do a lot of DIY themselves to make this all work gradually gradually we're going to see the you know these go into mainstream and it won't be that i have to be running some sort of energy calculation and deciding when i'm filling the car and when i'm going to use renewables and telling it what sort of uh what sort of strategy to take this is just going to be deferred to your energy provider who will be throwing their excess that they've got cheap on wholesale into your vehicles and air source heat pump and water storage and whatever and giving effectively a much lower price for for what you're what you're getting as a consumer and i think the next few years are going to be that transition from people with uh leather leather arm patches on their tweed jackets figuring all this out and people just getting a car on lease and getting uh getting their electric you know green electricity subsystem for the house sorted out by an energy wholesaler, uh, sorry, by an energy provider who figures out that strategy for you. And uh, I think it's going to result, I mean, we've seen total energy demand over the last few years in the United Kingdom going down and down and down. And this is, you know, these vehicle to grid and vehicle to home technologies are going to smooth that out and reduce that even further um, as we as we get away from peaky demand. Uh, over to smooth demand and locally smoothed using v2h and v2g
0: absolutely i think yeah i think cars of the electric vehicles cars of today i think have have allowed us to potentially look at them as not just a to b or or shuttles from a to b you know there they are things we can plug in there are things we can integrate and yeah i think what you mentioned there that in the few years we could potentially be looking at our car as a as our, our home, our, the battery energy storage of our homes, you know, as, as well as what you said, unplug it and you, the, you've got the school run. Um, it's quite a quite an exciting, uh, quite an exciting thought. Um, but yeah, I think just just to wrap up, I guess today, Ben. I mean, in terms of sort of looking at charging again. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things with sort of pricing and that maybe sort of regulation. I mean, in your opinion, what needs to happen? to sort of level the, the, the public charging with sort of domestic? And do you think that is likely to happen?
1: I don't think public charging pricing is going to come down to, to match domestic. And I don't think it has to. Again, coming back to that, uh, well, I don't think it's possible because you have to put pay for the infrastructure and the space the infrastructure is on and the repairs of the infrastructure as well as giving it a uh, stable power pricing so that people have a reasonable idea before they start charging what it will be at the end. I don't think it could possibly ever compete with domestic pricing. Um, and you've got the point that uh, public charges need to happen quick. So they need to be on very, very big connections or have their own battery backup so that they're able to slurp enough power to give you 200 kilowatts uh, <laughs> you know, charging rates. Um, that's gonna be expensive. and if If public chargers, fast chargers are the charger of last resort, they're the occasional charger when you get caught out at the end of the journey or when you're doing a very, very long journey, the fact that they're more expensive and the fact that there's less of them is not really an issue. You just pay a bit extra because it's one of those few times you need a range extension, those few times you need to top up for a long journey. And the newer battery technologies are allowing us faster and faster charges, so it's not going to be about... Two three hours, it's going to be sub one hour, sub half hour to give you another hundred and fifty miles and get you to where you want to go. Um, I think I think that's going to be stable and a happy a happy trade off because even the city dwellers, if we allow them to do more domestic charging, aren't going to be trapped in this kind of petrol equivalent. You know, it's, it's much more like a petrol car in being annoying that you have to go to the petrol station as well as annoying that it costs so much because it's had to come from various war zones and dictatorships all over the world. You know, I, I, I'm just going to be delighted when the politicians realise that energy independence and energy security is national security. Instead of spending our money on wars, we can spend our money on locally sourced renewable energy. We don't have to have our industries and our normal modes of transport dependent on a global network of shipping damaging oil from places we don't want to have to negotiate with, places we don't currently we are tolerating and encouraging relationships with countries whose human rights records and whose uh, social uh, you know, uh, so, uh, society's actions are ones that we would not want to say are are in line with our own beliefs you know we 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 don't want to have to you know pay homage to these nations we'd rather say you want to run yourself like that that's fine, but we don't want to trade with you rather than yes sir, that's wonderful we you know we're very very happy about you know Gender inequality, we're very happy about slavery being used, we're very happy about uh you know, all sorts of other uh things being done in the name of stability of oil supply. And all of this is leading us to a better a better future, a better future of energy independence, a better future of no smog in the cities, and to be honest, a better future of not rolling round everywhere in a giant car. When we could be using something smaller and lighter in the middle of the cities but then being able to summon something a bit more appropriate when we do want to go on holiday these are all the technologies we're going to see coming through but bit by bit stage by stage and the ev infrastructure space is going to help deliver that change
0: well, the exciting times and uh, yeah i appreciate your time ben and uh, yeah lovely to speak with you and hopefully get you back on the podcast soon